0: All right, brothers and sisters, let's take our Bible, turn back to Nehemiah, chapter 2. Nehemiah, chapter 2. While you're finding your place there, um, just make one more mention to remind you, this is the book, I'll leave it down here on the pew, any of those interested after the service, it's by Paul Little. And it's called Know Why You Believe. And uh, you can pick this up for maybe between $10 or $15 on um, Amazon or Half.com or a local Christian bookstore. And uh, if you'd like to join us for the study but you don't have uh, the money to pick up the book, then uh, please see me after the service and we'll see about making that possible. We'll begin uh, next Sunday evening at 4.30 in the Fellowship Hall. Already had somebody in the handshaking time uh, tell me that they would help me uh, put the coffee on. So that's one task that's down. And um, looking forward to doing that. Uh, those of you that have your book already or looking to pick that up, then you'll want to read chapters one and two. Come have read chapters one and two. And uh, if you'll just simply read, uh, if you picked it up this afternoon and read five pages, just five pages a day, you would be ready to go by next Sunday afternoon and we'll have good discussion. Nehemiah chapter number two. Uh, Would you bow for a word of prayer over the word? And we'll see what the Lord has for us today. Our Father, now we come to this time together as a family around your word. And uh, Lord, as our brother prayed a moment ago that uh, these eternal and wonderful and ever true words of scripture should be binding upon our hearts uh, every day and we should live by it. And Lord, there are many times, I think all of the folks in here today, uh, believers would say, man, there's a lot of times where I don't or I fail, I come short. And we thank you once again that the scripture teaches us uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins and has washed us and made us whole. And so Lord, I pray that uh, we be renewed today to live by the words of scripture. And we pray uh, in this ancient book, Lord of Nehemiah, that you would show us lessons that would point us to the Lord Jesus Christ and that would be ever applicable for the life that we live right now today. And we will thank you for it, for it is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. I was thinking a little bit about Memorial Day and our military and about how uh, it seems to me that uh, when danger comes or things come into my life that frighten me or bring fear into my life, you know, I, I, I tend to want to run. But it feels like i uh, uh, thankful for those men and women in our armed services, that when danger comes, they seem to run toward it. And I think that would probably be one of the biggest differences between us and those that defend our country, that they tend to run toward the danger and toward the problem and toward the trouble to bring deliverance and grace and help in those areas. Well, I think that the Bible teaches that as Christians, we are a part of the Lord's army, that we are plenty of scripture that teaches that we are warriors for the Lord in a greater battle even than flesh and blood. The Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers and high places in this great cosmic battle of good and evil, and that we are the army of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are to serve Him much more in the spiritual realm of our lives, and we ought to be the kind of people that, as you would see, maybe. He your bulletin. I just kind of titled it this week. Let's do this, right? You ever feel like that? I, I remember when I, when I got right with the Lord and uh, years ago, the Lord was working in my heart. And I remember went off to Bible college and started studying. And then uh, some years went by and I got into seminary and uh, I, I wanted to pastor. I mean, I I was so wet behind the ears. I still, I wanted to pastor. I wanted to preach every time. I mean, I, I'd preach. I preach to our animals that we had in the house. I just preach all the time. And uh, Lord, please give me a church. Give me a church. Give me a I wanted to go at it. And sometimes in the Christian life, we have to have that mentality let's go do this. And I think last week as we started Nehemiah, you understand that his brothers come back from the field, they, they have been kept in exile, Jerusalem is defeated and destroyed and all of the walls of the city are torn down, everything is bad, and Nehemiah gets a burden upon his heart, and he says, man, we got to go do something, and so he fasts and he prays and, and he gives God glory for everything, and at the end of chapter number one, it ends by telling you that one little line that I was a cupbearer in the house of the king, as if to say, what Whatever it is that my task is, whatever my small sphere and my small job, whatever it is that I have to do in my life, I am about to leverage that for the kingdom of God. I am going to take my small slice of life and I'm going to give everything that I have to serve the Lord and to rebuild those walls. And I translate that in the realm of the Christian world, in the realm of our church, and we too have to become the kind of believers that have deep in our soul a one purpose, this one desire to proclaim the gospel, to reflect the kingdom, to bring glory to the Lord by spreading the gospel to the world and by making disciples to Him. That is what we eat and we breathe and we live for. The very existence of Emmanuel Baptist Church is to bring glory to God by making disciples of all the nations. That's the reason why we push evangelism. And I talk to you about inviting people on church and sharing your testimony and sharing the gospel. And we do missions both locally and in North America and around the world. That's the reason why our group is going to Boston. That's the reason why we reach out to the Raleigh area. That's the reason why we go to El Salvador and probably in 2017 over to Romania. We do that because we are seeking to take the gospel to the world. The reason why we have Sunday school, the reason why we have small groups, the reason why we have BASC Bible study, the reason why we do uh, the book club next Sunday, the reason why we do youth, the reason why we do our children's ministry, all of that is to make disciples. So that all the people of our church are learning and growing in the area of Christian education and becoming the kind of people that are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. One purpose, let's go do this. That's what we do as a church. When you get to chapter 2, Nehemiah starts that process. And in these first eight verses, uh, we'll get to the next next week, but in this first eight verses, I think there's about four principles, four things that we can learn from the text that will help us as we have the mentality, let's build this church to the glory of God, not for numbers sake, but so that men and women and boys and girls in our local area come to faith in Jesus Christ and that those that are here are discipled into fully flourishing human beings in God's great kingdom. What do we do and how do we do that? Let's go do this. Here's the four things. You ready for the first one? Patience. Now, right? How do you say, let's go do this, and then the first point is wait. Right? Look at the text. Look at verse number 1. And it's an indirect theme right here in verse number 1. And it came about in the month of Nisan. Now, if you'll turn back to chapter number 1. Verse number 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hacaliah, and now it happened in the month of Chislev. That's right around November, December type of area. And so from the chapter one, verse one, all the way to chapter two, verse number one, there is a four month period of time Inherent in the very text is this that Nehemiah had a heart at the end of chapter number one, way back in November and December. He had a heart to go rebuild the walls. He wanted to go do everything for the glory of God and see all of Jerusalem flourish again, but he had to wait. It wasn't the right timing. But it was not just a passive waiting. It was the kind of waiting that came with weeping and prayer and fasting. And he was looking toward the Lord for the right moment in the right way. And God was shaping him and forming him even in his patience. And I want to say to all of us today, as a church, we must, as we get ready to build the church, as we get ready to see God do wonderful and marvelous things in the life of our people, we must never forget the fundamental principle that we need patience in our Christian life. The deacons are reading through a book uh, by John Ortberg with me. Um, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. There's a beautiful passage in that uh, last chapter we read on waiting. It says that um, what God is doing in you while you wait is more important than what you're waiting for. You ever think about that? What God is doing in you while you're waiting is sometimes more important than what you're waiting for. I I just want to put this to you today. Are you the kind of believer that is dealing with fear and anxiety and all of your struggles with a holy patience toward God, waiting on Him, looking to Him, longing for Him, seeking for His timing in your family, in your life, with your work, with your friends, with your church? Are you a patient believer before the Lord? I read this uh, this past week, uh, Timex did this research. Listen to these. This, this made me laugh this week. Timex did this research and they said this, that uh, we will wait 13 seconds before we honk at a car at front of a green light in front of us. We will wait 26 seconds before we shush people that are talking in the movie theater. 26 seconds before we take the seat of someone who has walked away. Now listen to this. We will only wait 20 minutes for a family member before we dive in at Thanksgiving dinner. Now that's just wrong, isn't it? You're looking at your watch, the turkey's right there, you got this Norman Rockefeller scene there, you can smell the yams, you look down, 21 minutes, dig in people. Isn't that the way we are? You know, I, I'm the same way. You ever, go to the, you ever go to McDonald's and have to wait like 27 seconds longer than you think you should? And you get frustrated, you get an attitude about it? I must, I must admit before you, has anybody used the new, instead of sliding your card where you got to jam it up in that little hole and wait? I about had an aneurysm the other day because I had to wait an extra minute to figure that thing out. Brothers and sisters, I, I want to say to us today before the Lord and before the scripture, Yes, we need to be ready to charge hell with a water pistol, so to speak. We need to be ready to give God everything that we have. We need to be ready to serve Him at a moment's notice. But we ought not to be hurried, rushed, haphazard kind of people. We ought to be the kind of people that demonstrate patience in our life before the Lord. And do you know what patience really is? Patience is the outward evidence of an inward trust of God. When you try and do everything on your own and make it happen in your own time and your own way and you force things and you have this big attitude and your whole life is rocked because you can't get it your way right away, it is a demonstration that what you really trust is an idol of yourself and your own life and you want things your own way and I want things my own way rather than demonstrating that whether I ever get my way or not, I can wait and trust that God in His timing is best. How often are we willing to wait on the resources of God, but we're not willing to wait on the timing of God? Let us be the kind of people that demonstrate patience in our life. This week, we need to give ourselves over to the Lord. Let me give you a second point. Read down here through with me. I'm going to pick it up in um, verse 3 and 4, but let me read it. So, And it came about in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, wine was before him and i took up the wine and i gave it to the king so this idea here of being the cupbearer the job of this man that had this position was uh, in this day they would often kill kings by poisoning them wouldn't you like to have this job right he's got a cushy place to live he makes lots of money everything's going his way but you have the risk that you might die every single day Yeah, so every time the king is ready to try new wine, this dude has to drink it up and die, all right? And whenever I read through there, uh, I started thinking about the Princess Bride movie. And for those of you that have seen it, you will know the part I'm talking about. And for those of you that don't, you'll go home and watch it on Netflix, all right? So look at verse number two. So the king said to me, why is your face sad? As though you uh, um, face sad, though you are not sick. Well, part of it is he's been fasting on and off for the last four months and saw our own prayer. And then it says, this is nothing but the sadness of heart. This is something that's deep and inward. He says, I was very much afraid. We'll come back to that. Verse number 3, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what do you request? And notice this, so I prayed to God of heaven. I would say today that as we get ready to serve the Lord and we have this one purpose and we're following Him to proclaim the gospel and reflect the kingdom and bring glory to God, we must be the kind of people that demonstrate patience in our life. A holy patience. Let me come back to this in a second. But I, I would say that if you're looking to the New Testament, you can't find where Jesus demonstrated holy patience in His life. In fact, you don't hear anything pretty much about the life of Jesus from the time He's 12 in the temple all the way till He's about 30 years of age. Do you think that Jesus stopped living those years? Do you think that Jesus just goes off of the scene? No, God is doing a work of holy obedience. The Bible says that He was perfected unto holiness through obedience, Hebrews 2. All of the years that he was growing up, living and working, he was patient about what God was doing on the inside of his life. But secondly, prayer. You notice in verse number 3, the Bible says that Nehemiah was afraid. But what does he do in verse number 4? He overcomes the fear through prayer. And that's exactly what prayer does, ladies and gentlemen. Prayer orders our fears properly everybody has fears even uh, mark twain said that uh, courage is uh, courage is the resistance of fear it may even be the mastery of fear but it is certainly not the absence of fear right everybody has fears everybody in this room has anxiety and turmoil and frustration and chaos Everybody in here has had a time in your life where you were unsure about the way things were going in your life and you had fear in your life. Brothers and sisters, don't walk away from that. Confront that. It is not just sweeping fear under the rug. Yes, we have anxiety. But what we are to do is to overcome and to push on and to demonstrate courage through our fear so that it does not stymie our progress in the Christian walk. But we overcome our fear through prayer. Isn't that what it says in verse number 4? And so the king said, what do you want to do? And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, not look at me, not owe me, but he prayed to the God of heaven. I would say to you today, maybe just a premature application, that the fears and the anxiety in your life should be hit straight on with the prayer to the God of heaven. When we pray, it orders our fears rightly. So, Steve, what do you mean by that? Well, look, when you leave here today, every person in this room has some daily fears, right? I mean, you know, some of you are afraid that what your wife has for lunch this afternoon isn't going to taste good, all right? Some of you have other fears, like maybe your car isn't going to crank in the morning. Has anybody in here got a fear of having vehicle problems like me? Okay, I got one or two. Y'all are all liars. Come on, you know when you didn't have no money and you, you went out there using college trying to crank it up and that thing go, na 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 na. na are like, Jesus, please. How many of you know that, right? You have leaned over the wheel of your car once in your life and said, Please, Jesus, if you love me, crank it up. And for some of you, it cranked up and you said, Jesus loves me. And for others of you, it didn't. You said, oh, me. All right. Everybody has common everyday fears. Well, let me ask you this. With all of the little common fears, some of you got, te- I know some of, some of our high schoolers have tests this next week. There's a little bit of fear and anxiety, frustration, right? You study and, go, man, oh, I hope I do well. And then you take the test and you walk out in the hall and you're like, oh, that's what should have gone there. I put A, it should have been B. But let me ask you this. This coming Friday, if uh, you didn't feel well, and next thing you know, you wound up in the hospital, and the doctor came in and told you, after two or three doctors, you got a couple of opinions, and they said, "I'm so sorry, but you only have six months to live." That fear would cause the rest of your daily fears to melt away, wouldn't it? Prayer orders our fears. And what I mean by that is when we pray, we begin to fear God above every other fear in our life. And when you begin to see him in his holiness and his sovereignty and his power and how much control he has over all things, and you become low and he becomes great, and you begin to pray and see him and fear him, our other fears become diminished listen to this quote I, I was reading this this last week i thought this is interesting to fear god is to be stunned speechless that the weight of his fury and rejection crushed his son and not us do you fear god today to the point where you are in awe of the fact that all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your shortcoming, God did not pour out His fury upon you. God has not required that of you, but God took His Son on the cross and all of that fury and all of that rejection and all of the pain and the suffering of the cross, God poured out on His own Son so that you could have everlasting life. Can I just pause here for a moment and say to everybody that's here, I I know many of our folks are traveling. A lot of our regulars are here today. But some of you are visiting with us for the first time. And some of you have been in church all your life. You might have grown up. You might have even been baptized in somebody's water. But I just want to say to you that if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today, you are lost. And the Bible says that the judgment of God already abides on you. And when you die, you'll go to an eternal punishment and pay for your sin. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ died for you and all of that sin and all of your rejection and all of those things was poured out on the wrath of God on Jesus Christ on the cross so that you would not have to die And pay for it so that you could accept Him and believe on Him and have forgiveness of your sins and new life and rightly fear Him instead of all of the other lesser fears in life. Are you a person of patience? Are you a person like Nehemiah of prayer? Can I just speak for just a moment here to our church? I'm about to say something that stings a little bit, so I want to give this caveat. If you're here today or those that will be listening on their way back and all of that kind of stuff, listen, I realize that there are times where our jobs keep us from being here on Wednesday night. I realize that there are folks in this room that uh, live 20, 30 minutes away. I realize that. There are folks, life just gets pretty busy sometimes. It does. I, I really get that. So what I'm about to say, I want to put that caveat out there. And I want you to understand that uh, I'm not coming at you. I'm just trying to help us as a shepherd and as a family. Brothers and sisters, every single week we have a Wednesday evening service here. And uh, our children study the Bible and pray. Our youth study the Bible and pray. And our adults, we study the Bible and pray. And and here's what we we do. Uh, At 6.30, uh, we meet together. And I take about maybe 20, 25 minutes. And I just teach through a small text. And then we break apart throughout the church in uh, small groups or by yourself. And we take about 20 minutes to pray. And we come back in here at 7.20 and I pray and dismiss us. some people will talk to me sometimes about, Steve, what about the plans and the programs or what are we going to do and all this kind of stuff? We'll get there because all of that stuff's important. In fact, that's my next point in here is boldness and planning. <laughs> but if you think that this church will ever be what God wants it to be without us pouring our lives and hearts into prayer, you can forget about it. Amen. It won't happen. Are you so busy in your life? that you couldn't come for 50 minutes one other time a week, read the Bible, and pray for a few minutes. I would say to you that if you're that busy, you're too busy for God. Don't tell me, uh, well, I can pray at the house just as good as you can pray here. Because as soon as you say that, you have have a, a, a misunderstanding of the Scripture. Yes, we pray individually, but did you know that almost every book of the Bible in the New Testament is addressed to the church corporately? And the only other two, three books that are addressed to an individual are addressed to pastors to teach the church how to meet corporately. And there's one other one that is uh, written to a slave that ends up getting redeemed, and that slave is set free, but he's told to go back home to his brothers and sisters and worship God. No, you cannot worship God as well on the riverbank as you can in church. You cannot find that in the scripture anywhere. I get sometimes you can't drive when it's dark, but gee whiz, it doesn't get dark now till nine. I get sometimes you're busy. And and here's a way out for you, all right? just I know, all right. Good thing about tomorrow the office is closed, so I won't get those emails till Tuesday. Yeah. um hey, if you're in here, and you say, "Man, that hits me a little bit. Ah, oh, it's tough. I want to start, okay look you don't have to you don't have to go all out maybe just maybe just two Sundays or two Wednesdays a month. you could drop by and pray with us. Just begin there. Is that I mean, two, and then maybe the other two, you're busy you're working you're going right? I don't know. Sometimes I talk with uh, youth or even children. Uh, and you know what? For that matter, sometimes I tell adults who come to the office and, hey, Pastor, I just don't feel my faith. It's because you don't give your whole life over to it. I promise you, if you make a commitment in your heart, man, I'm going to be faithful to church and I'm going to be faithful to come and pray and seek God. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to give myself to that for an entire year. And I'm going to see if there really is a God. I'm not putting myself out on any limb at all. He's there and he will answer you. As Schaefer said, he is there and he is not silent. Do you pray, believers? Did you pray this week for lost people to visit the church and hear the gospel? We've got to be the kind of people, let's go get them, right? We want to have one purpose. The church is growing. We're doing what we're going to do. But we've got to be the kind of people that have patience in our heart with each other, right? As Jesus would. Some of you in here, you need to extend patience to husbands and wives and children and youth. Extend patience to your parents. I understand they're not as smart as you, but you should still extend patience to them. You should extend patience like Christ. You should pray like Christ. When we think about prayer, what about Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane? He says to those guys that fall asleep, would you not watch and pray for me for even one hour? We don't even do that here. We're talking about 20 minutes of prayer. You can do it. We'll help you. We want to help you. Let me give you a third point. We'll move pretty quickly. Third point I would say in this passage is boldness. So if you see there in verse number five, he says, I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah to the city of my fathers that I may rebuild this walls. <laughs> The funny thing is, is that he is asking a king to do something that is nigh impossible. This is a Persian king, and the king before him had already decreed in Ezra chapter 4 that the walls should not be rebuilt. And if you know anything about history, this is the law of the Medes and the Persians. It was a decree for life. And Nehemiah goes right straight to this king and he says, Hey, this is what I really want. I want to rebuild those walls. The king had every right in every way to take his life, to have, who are you as a slave in this kingdom to ask me to do something against our own laws of our own land? But Nehemiah had the boldness to pray to God and say, I want large things for your glory, and this is what I want. And I want to ask us, do we have that same kind of boldness in our lives? William Carey, that great missionary, said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God because we have a great God. Listen to this from Samuel's winner. He said this, the unoccupied fields of the world await those who are willing to be lonely for the sake of Christ. Wouldn't it be great in the next five or six years if the Lord would raise somebody up out of our midst here that would go as a missionary to the ends of the world? And all of our young people right now are thinking, "I may be the Lord to do that in my life." But well, what we should be having is that same thought in our young folks, in our folks that are in our forties, fifties, sixties, and seventies. Boldness. Boldness. I could talk about that for a while. Let me move to a, another point. I would say that we also not only need patience and prayer and boldness, but we need planning. And this is one I had to pray about this week and really taken to my heart. It's a good thing. Look at verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. In in verse 5, you see that he gives a definite purpose to the king, that is to go back and rebuild those walls. In verse number 6, he gives a definite time of return to the king. The king uh, with the queen by his side says, when are you going to return? So he gives him a a definite time, something that had been thought out in advance. In verse number 7, he asks for letters of protection. In verse number 8, he asked for letters to pay for the wall. I can't help the cheesy pun in this one, right? Nehemiah's going to go build a wall and he's going to have the king pay for it. Y'all will get that tomorrow. It'll slip up on you. You see the planning that goes on in verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. While uh, all of chapter 1, while Nehemiah is weeping and praying and fasting, he is all the while planning what he is going to do to rebuild these walls. I don't have time to go in it this morning, but would you continue to pray for the leadership of our church? We, I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm very somebody, somebody. I'm very excited. We had a bylaws meeting last Monday night, right? Who gets excited about bylaws meetings? except for some of my guys that are in there with us, right? Great me. Hey, listen, brothers and sisters, we're praying and planning about the uh, future um, ministry council and structure of our church and how we can do things well and how we can do things to the glory of God and build for the way He wants it to take place in our church. Would you pray that God would give us wisdom and strength as we plan, as we follow Him? I want to tell you something. Planning is not a bad thing, it is a good thing. There are, some, uh, there are some false assumptions when it comes to planning in the church life. Some people would say, well, feelings are infallible guides for sensing the leading of the Spirit. I would say, if you follow your feelings all the time, you'll wind up in the tank. Feelings make great slaves, they make terrible masters. Another false assumption is this that the Holy Spirit leads people only in spontaneous ways. I remember when I first went off to Bible college and then on to seminary, I had some friends, they'd say, uh, you don't need all that, you don't need all that education. You just get up and read the Bible and preach whatever God puts on your heart. Well, you can do that, but I just want to explain to you as well that God also works the systematic preaching through books of the Bible. Planning doesn't always have to be spontaneous well I would say this planning leads to progress planning builds continuity planning reflects the unity of the church and planning develops leaders and members in a church and can even help bring people to the Lord Jesus Christ and I would say to you this that both Jesus was bold and Jesus was a planner did you know that Jesus had a systematic way of mentoring His disciples, not in the mass, but in the small. And those men and those ladies turned the world upside down for Christ. How are you at that in your life? If the church comes calling for you to serve in particular positions to help guide and lead and see the Lord do certain things, are you ready for that? What about... In your own life, in your own family, do you plan for ways to be bold in sharing the gospel? You know, one way I plan, share the gospel? I keep a set of these cards in my pocket everywhere I go. Now, during the summer, sometimes they get soggy when I get home, right? So I have to put a new set in there. But do you carry a few of these cards with you and just give one wherever you go? Do you have boldness and a plan to serve God? in your life let me give you the last point we'll finish for today I think the last point is when we see all of this as patience and prayer and uh, this boldness and planning all of it has to come down and be hinged on this last one and that is that we need humility to the glory of God look at verse number eight And letters to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give us timber to make beams for the gates of the forest, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me, not because I'm a great planner, not because I'm the greatest leader in the world. Nehemiah didn't say that all of these things happened because I have this dynamic personality and I am able to make people follow me and off we go. No, Nehemiah's heart is humble and low before the Lord. And he says, whatever skill, whatever job, whatever it is that I have, Lord, You can have them. And unless the hand of our good God was upon us, none of this would have happened. And I would say right now to our church, even in this summertime, as God continues to bless and grow and work, all that we do is not based off of our goodness, but it is based off the goodness of our good God. Amen? And we must be the kind of believers that are humble and low so that the next generation that's coming behind, it is not all about seeing flash in the pan personality, but faithfulness and humility before the Lord to serve Him faithfully all the days of our life. And when we do that, God puts His good hand of favor on our life. Now you can all sense that I'm about to finish. Please don't pack up yet. Don't zip the Bible off, real quick. All of this is moot if it stays in that passage. I'm asking you right now in your own heart, right where you are, don't worry about the person beside you. Are you patient? waiting on God and are you patient with other people do you spend time in prayer do the people around you see you spending time in prayer if those that know you best could describe you would they say that person is a person of prayer Do you have any kind of holy boldness in your life? You know, some of you in this room, you'll do anything and everything. Uh, you'll, you'll walk in an office for a job promotion, uh, s- palms sweaty, uh, lump in your throat, but you'll walk in there for the glory of Jesus to get a couple of extra bucks in your wallet so that you can provide your, for your family, and that's great. You'll study, you'll do everything there is. You show boldness in the places that you want to. Do you show boldness when it comes to your faith and sharing the gospel with people? Do you have any kind of plan in your life to walk with God the rest of your days? Everybody in this room has read 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and everybody in here would say, that's what I want to be in my life. What plan do you have to make that actually happen? And are you humble? Not false humility, but really before the Lord, humble. Humble. I say, God, I want you to have all the glory, and I want you to help me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? Just a second, we'll stand, sing together. Just right where you are. Maybe this is an opportunity for you just to pray and do business with the Lord. I've, I've been praying through that this week. And I maybe you will, Lord, help me, help, help me to be patient. Lord, help me to pray. Lord, help me to be bold and actually invite somebody. Lord, help me to have a plan for serving you and living for you. And most of all, Lord, help all of that to be tied to a humility that the good hand of God would be upon me. Maybe you just might want to pray through that yourself today and this week. That we might accomplish the purpose that God has us here for.